My text this evening is taken from Luke chapter 2 and reading, um, not reading, we've done that, haven't we? Uh, And verse 10, Luke 2 and verse 10. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Do not be afraid. Those are the words that struck me this week as I was preparing this sermon. I was on the train uh, last week uh, between Newport and Tondi, if you'd like to know, and uh, you probably don't, and a gentleman sat opposite me in the carriage, and I was reading a commentary on Luke, and the gentleman looked at me and he said, what does Theophilus think of that? <laughs> I thought, this is a strange, strange scenario. And it took me a while to click, but I realized eventually this man was born again. He's a Christian. What does Theophilus think then? And that question stuck with me. What would Theophilus have thought about the shepherds, the shepherds. You know, we just look at the beginning, just turn a page if you like, or two actually. You'll see at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he's described as most excellent Theophilus. This chap's a learned fellow, he's probably quite important. There are numerous theories about the identity of Theophilus. But I couldn't get it out of my head. What would Theophilus have thought, not only of what we discussed this morning, the impossible situation of the Virgin, but what we're going to look at tonight, which is the unlikely recipients of this good news, the shepherds. Remember, the writer, Luke, was a doctor. We covered that this morning, a clever man. A learned man. We all know doctors, you know, they're, they're very good, aren't they? Uh, the gospel was well written. Uh, the experts tell us that it's written in, in good Greek. It's well presented. It's orderly presented. And the good news is presented so clearly. But what would Theophilus have thought when after hearing about the virgin conception... The angels move on from that then, and they come to these people on a hill. It's uh, remarkable. We've been singing about it. It's become, we're so used to it by now that it's entered our uh, minds. Christmas, wise men, shepherds. But shepherds, I doubt that Theophilus would ever have spoken to a shepherd in his life. Maybe I'm wrong but I doubt it. My friends, we're living in a time of great fear. Do you feel that? Even in the church, we're a little bit apprehensive. We feel a little bit old-fashioned. We feel a little bit on the periphery of society these days. We're seen as a little bit odd. And for those of you who aren't Christians here tonight... There's some of you here, I'm sure. You must be afraid. What's 2023 going to bring? 
2022 was a bit of a shock, wasn't it, with the war? And then the cost of living. But what about illness? And what about that great thing that we were discussing this morning? Death is ever looming. It's always there, isn't it? We're always conscious that it's on its way. Be honest with yourself. You're afraid, aren't you? And yet, and yet, this text is for you tonight as well. Do not be afraid. Notice the words there. For behold, I bring you, I bring you good tidings of great joy. You know, this morning we were called to believe in the unbelievable. Tonight, I'm calling you to do so without fear. Without fear. We'll consider this episode, uh, the angel and shepherd episode, by breaking up what the angels say. First of all, I want us to consider that little word. Do not be afraid, for this is good. Oh, we're dying for something good these days, aren't we? Do not be afraid, for this is good. Secondly, do not be afraid, for this good news is for you. It's for you this evening. I'm not being cliche there. That's what the Bible tells us. It is for you as well. And do not be afraid, thirdly, for you will have peace. You will have peace. Do not be afraid, for this is good. Do not be afraid, for this good news is for you. And do not be afraid, for you will have peace. So first of all, this is good. This is so good. I learned a great deal. Well, I, I say I learned a great deal. I think I learned a great deal about sheep and shepherds in North Wales. Some of you here will remember uh, Douglas Macmillan, who was far more uh, a shepherd than me. But Yen and I, we lived at the beginning of our marriage in the High Valley in Snowdonia there, near Betosakoid. I know some of you visited. And the fields around our house were completely uh, dotted with sheep most of the year. And the local shepherd there was called Carwin. Not, not him, another Carwin. Uh, <laughs> and he would inspect the sheep on Saturdays. And Yen and I would then, and she'll remember funny things, your sheep would get into the house. And I, we'd keep an eye on the flock during the week. And if anything went arrive with phone uh, Carwin to come along. But I remember one period when a corpse would appear on the field every week. Just a little cloud there. You can, it's very sad, actually. Uh, bundled up in the field nearly every day, and the crows would come, and it, it gets very nasty very quickly. And a particularly vicious fox had been active. Uh, he was, not, he was killing them one a week. We called Carwin, and he'd come on his quad bike, and he'd come to the field, and he'd sigh. I've never seen this before. He'd sigh above the sheep, uh, the dead sheep, and he, he'd pat her. Remember, he'd brought her up since she was a little lamb. He'd take the body away on the quad, and he'd say to me, Nathan, you know, Sometimes I feel this job, it's such a dead-end job sometimes. It's so hard bringing up the sheep 
working hard to keep them warm and to keep them fed. And then a fox gets it and all that works for nothing. Come with me now to the Judean field. Shepherding hasn't changed that much. And these shepherds, verse 8, look at your Bibles there, it tells us they were in the same country. Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. They're not in a caravan or a shepherd's hut. They're in the fields, they're cold, they're wrapped in wool, they're in front of fire. Oh, and it could be very cold there, I'm sure. And then they contemplate the destiny of their sheep. You've, keep, keep with me, you'll, we'll get there eventually. You see, we're told by the historians that many of those sheep in those fields were destined for the altars of Jerusalem, or the altar, rather. Sources tell us that 250,000, just take that in for a minute, 250,000 sheep were needed just for Passover, just for Passover. Can you imagine all those animals being killed, the poor shepherds? Uh, it literally was a dead-end job. They're keeping watch. Everyone else is in bed, tucked up warmly. And it's a thankless task being a shepherd in first century AD. Uh, the days of Psalm 23 are long gone, where your kings are shepherds. Oh no, the shepherds were the, uh, the lowest caste of society. The very people would cross the streets when the shepherds came, you know, it was a bit, you know, a job nobody else wants to do. And I was in the Netherlands recently, and you see in, in the fields the, the tulips and the vegetables, not now, when you're there in the summer, and into the night, people with little torches working into the night, picking tulips for you, for your birthdays and for your... <laughs> It's a thankless job, a job nobody wants to do. Why, you know, do you feel like that tonight? Perhaps your life is one endless string of bad news, dead end. Not much happening. And it frightens you sometimes when you think, if you're not a Christian here tonight, that your life is a dead end life. It's why am I here on a hill, as it were, just looking after some sheep that are going to be killed? They're not even going to be enjoyed with mint sauce. No, they're going to be killed. Such a waste. What does it all mean? Have you asked that question, I wonder? But then verse 9, verse 9 interrupts this hopeless, dark, and dead-end situation. Look at verse 9. Behold... That's the right to telling you, you to look. Look now, look. Uh, an angel, Angelos, stood by them. This is not of this earth, <laughs> this interruption. Notice three times in verse 9 the word, uh, the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. Sorry, I can't get the King James Version out of my head. And they were greatly afraid. And then in verse 11 there, let your eyes drift down. He is Christ, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. This is good already, isn't it? This is so good already. And the angel hasn't even said anything. Their first reaction is fear. 
Fear. Uh, the wording in the original here is they feared, great fear. Um, can you blame them? The supernatural has interrupted their very normal routine. God has interrupted their dead-end existence on the hillside. Forgive the personal illustration, but when my grandfather was dying, he said to me, I can hear singing. I, I, it was amazing. And I'd been praying with him and reading the Bible, and I'm a Christian, and yet even I suddenly, I was scared. I don't know why. Well, I do know why, because suddenly the supernatural had entered the room, and we're not used to that, are we? A soul was passing from this life into the next, something sacred. And have you experienced that? But verse 9, not only is there an interruption here when this angel stands before them, it also tells us that glory shone round about them. Light, wonder. Throughout the Bible, people are afraid when they encounter this glory. You remember uh, Moses and Isaiah on the floor and John on the floor and there's a recurring pattern throughout the Bible that we cannot deal with glory on our own. Uh, there is something so clean about it. And yet, you can imagine that same light that overcame Saul of Tarsus coming on the shepherds here, the glory of the Lord. They must have been down on their faces and afraid. What about us? When little humans encounter the things of God, fear comes, doesn't it? That's where we get the word phobia from. But perhaps if you're not a Christian here this evening, you've got a phobia of everything religious. Uh, oh, it's too serious. And yet the angel says something remarkable, which has resounded down through the ages. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is really good. This is really good. And yet the angel of the Lord says to you, don't fear the glory of the Lord because Christ the Lord is born in Bethlehem. Not a warrior or a bright figure in the middle of Jerusalem, but a baby, a baby. The Welsh Christian poet Bobby Jones puts it like this in poetry. This is a translation. Christmas is in fact a feast day. That's just like God. Into the shepherd's midwinter, he brought a bud. Uh, you know what a bud is, yeah. At the beginning of a flower. At the lowest point of night, he put a fire. He always gives a birthday party in the snow. He's speaking poetically there. Probably no snow there at the time. Well, maybe there was, I don't know. Thanks be to him for a sign. This bed of hope... This fire in the cold was no rich boy in a palace. It was a baby in the poorest place. Don't be afraid. This is really good. This is really good. A little boy has been born. This is news for you, though, isn't it? Secondly, don't be afraid. This news is for you. It's for you tonight. Look at verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be, be afraid, for behold, I bring you, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born 
to you this day in the city of David. The, the language there is quite interesting, isn't it? Usually when people are born, uh, they say, oh, um, Mary and Joseph, unto Mary and Joseph this day is born a baby. But no, the angel doesn't use that word. This baby is not just a little baby. This baby is your saviour. It's for you, not just for Mary and Joseph. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection would be for the shepherds, but it'd be for you as well. How can they trust this promise? Do you know? There's a sign there, isn't there? Verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. See, when God gave his people a promise, he would usually accompany that promise with a sign. God works in the same way throughout Scripture. You remember the rainbow? Lovely rainbow there with Noah. And Isaiah 7 states, doesn't it, like we considered this morning, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Notice you. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Sorry, Seth, you're being used quite a bit at the minute. So when Seth was born, people in the Netherlands uh, celebrate by having these biscuits with um, blue or pink on them, uh, like hachelschlach, like uh, sweeties on the biscuits. And you give them to friends to indicate whether it's a boy or a girl. The Magi looked for a king, didn't they? And they were given a star. The shepherds, verse 12, to look, notice, a child wrapped in swaddling bands in a manger, a feeding trough. You can't get any lower than a feeding trough. Can you imagine their discussion? Oh, dear. Oh, um, this is an odd sign, isn't it, uh, shepherd one? Oh, yes, very odd. You see, this gift is given by God. He's wrapped by Mary. And it's a lovely saying this. Wrapped by Mary, but he's offered to you, even this evening. But you can imagine the shepherds thinking, but yes, yes, we've always been ignored. Uh, John, look at us. We're filthy. Nobody wants to see us. Don't worry, brother. Remember now what the angel said. This baby isn't born in some posh place up in Lisbane or, or that, that area up there. No, no, he's born in a manger. He's born in a house much like where you live. And look, the baby is even wrapped like our little babies were wrapped, not in silk, but in cloth. They're poor, normal folk like us, wrapped well, <laughs> you know, that's what the shepherds are saying. You're right, let's go, let's go. He is for us, isn't he? You don't need to wash or get better when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the shepherds, you just come as you are. It's an awful, awful uh, thought in Christian history that you somehow have to um, improve yourself, your moral character, before you come to God. That's not the religion of the Bible. The religion of the Bible is foul out of the fountain fly. 
naked come to thee for dress, helpless come to thee for rest. That's the religion of the Bible. Not you get, sort yourself out, then come to the Lord Jesus. No, no, come as you are. Can you imagine, uh, after all of this, brothers and sisters, after the scene that they'd seen on the hilltop, that the shepherds would say to one another, um, oh, should we, just, uh, should we just stay here, sitting on the hill in the cold? <laughs> but that's what you're doing tonight, if you're not responding to the preached word. That's what you're doing tonight, if Christ isn't your saviour. You're still on that hill, shivering. You're still in that dead-end position on the hill, just watching the sheep go one by one to Jerusalem, and you're still there on the hill. I'm speaking metaphorically, yes? You're still there. There is so many in Cardiff tonight just living life on the hillside. For unto you this day is born a saviour. Today, today is the day of salvation. Oh, but I don't want to leave the sheep. <laughs> who's going to look after them? You can imagine the excuses. My friends, those sheep are going to be gone soon. Perhaps you've got excuses in your head this evening. But what would my colleagues say? Oh, but I've got a career up here on the hill. I, you know, it's quite respectable in Judea. You know, I, I'm, I'm employed by the church to look after these sacrificial sheep. And if I leave now, I might lose my job. But what about your soul? Brothers and sisters, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? It's very clear tonight. Don't stay on the hillside of your own worldview, as it were. But what will my wife say? That's another common one I've heard. What will my husband say? Your wife will not be here forever, but your soul will be. Your soul will be. You'd be mad to refuse that baby. You'd be mad not to come to Bethlehem. For he's not only your saviour, but he can be your wife's saviour too. We need to have a, a, a bigger view of our Lord working amongst us. Oh, my friends, don't stay on the hillside. Do not be afraid, brothers and sisters. This child... This Christ the Lord is for you tonight. It's for you. And the angels can't keep quiet. They, they're jumping probably. And they sing a song of peace. Thirdly, do not be afraid. For you will have peace. Do you see that there? Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Let's pause a moment there at verse 14. Uh, it's a song, again, in that Spotify playlist I mentioned this morning that we have in the Bible called Evangel, Gospel. Glory to God in the highest. Our worship is directed above. They're, the angels are not uh, on a stage there. No, no, they're, they're singing to God in the highest. They've just had a a conversation with one angel. That's the scene. We have the shepherds here. An angel stands before them. And all of a sudden, 
the angels can't, can't keep still, they can't keep quiet, they burst in and they sing this wonderful song. They announce in the original, peace among men of his good pleasure. We've got to be careful with this verse. The word peace that is used here speaks of security and peace after a war. Okay, it's not um, shalom here, it's a different word. But my friends, your sin, you see, means that you're at war with God. That's an old Bible image, isn't it? We, we have this great rift between us and the Lord. And you remember Augustine says we are restless if we continue in that state of war. We're dying for peace, literally. And then that baby comes into the scene in between us and God, for he is the only mediator, the person in between who brings peace. He is the way, like I said in the prayer, the truth, the life. Don't let the theologians or clever people tell you that there are many ways to Christ. That's a lie uh, to God. That's a lie. There are many ways to Christ, but only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He is the thirst quencher, the peace giver. Notice, it's quite ironic, actually. Go back to verse 13, and suddenly, it's very quick, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Have you ever noticed that? That's an army, an army announcing a peace. Oh, we can pray for peace in the world now, can't we? We're just thinking of Ukraine especially. But there's a greater war that needs a peace treaty, and that's the war between your soul and God. Oh, like Mary, God is saying that you are recipients of God's gracious favour, not those who merit it. And those who receive his grace have peace, have peace. We were reminded uh, recently of uh, Father Christmas um, by Andy, and he's depicted, isn't he, as this saint who's going to find out who's naughty and nice. He rewards good behaviour. And we were speaking over lunchtime, uh, some of us prefer St. Nicholas of Myra, who Santa is based on, would often gift in secret and in the night. But my friends, both uh, are not brilliant, really, are they? They're not fully... Because uh, what we see in God is fa Father Christmas is lovely, right? But what I'm saying is the Lord Jesus Christ is far much more, isn't he? God has not hidden his work from you. God has not done it in the night, as it were, in a corner. No, Jesus Christ is proclaimed in light, and it is good. Oh, they were witnesses, weren't they? If you go down to verse 17 now, we, they come, don't they, to the, to the place where Christ is born. And you see the shepherds in verse 17 tell, tell everyone about what they've seen. That's the natural reaction. Then others marvel at their saying. Marvel there isn't the comics. That's, they were amazed, okay? <laughs> When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? When was the last time you gossiped the gospel? When was the last time you shared the news of Jesus rather than 
And we've all done it. Talk all the time about secondary issues. I'm just preaching to myself. Ah, yes. You tell me, I, I'm like Mary. I'm going to ponder it in my heart, in the corner. No, my friends, you're not called to be Mary here tonight. Uh, we're called to be shepherd-like. Witnesses. Do you know how Luke ends this gospel? Come with me. Let's go to the end of Luke. Luke 24 and verse 46. We're back on the hill. It's a good place to be, the hillside. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you, notice, are witnesses of these things. The gospel begins with eyewitnesses. It ends with eyewitnesses. My friends, are you going to be like the shepherds this Christmas? Glorifying and praising God there in verse 20. They return, don't they? But their life would never be dead end again. Back in Luke now. Luke 2. Luke, Luke, Luke 2. Verse 20. They go back rejoicing. Is that going to be your Christmas this year? Rejoicing. Not just that dead-end job on the hill, but glorying that the Christ child is born. We're going to finish soon with that famous carol by Charles Wesley. Hark, the herald angels sing. Now you'll find with Charles Wesley, his words are brilliant. But he, he didn't understand, uh, well, he, I'm sure he did understand music, but he chose a gloomy tune. Uh, for that carol originally. Did you know that? And George Whitfield adapted the words to make it flow better. And I think Mendelssohn wrote the tune that we're going to be singing soon. Mendelssohn, you see, was a German Jew, and he had met the baby, his Messiah. He was a Christian. And when he came across this carol, he thought, that tune's a bit gloomy. <laughs> so he wrote a new tune. Oh, hail the heaven-born prince, notice, of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. That's Malachi there, isn't it? Son of righteousness, these images of the sun rising with healing in his wings. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born, this is good news now, right? Born that man no more may die, born to raise the shepherds of this earth, born to give you and them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Is he your saviour tonight? If so, sing this carol now from your heart, okay? For unto you this day is born in the city of David a saviour. Tell others about him, will you? Because they, you know, they need to know about him. And may we all come, as it were, to Bethlehem with that happy heart and a hope and a peace 
that passes all understanding. For his name's sake, amen. So we'll sing the carol now. Uh, Hark the herald, angels sing. And we'll sing it. Can we have uh, the, the tune by Mendelssohn, all right? Not, not the gloomy one. Uh, 171, thank you.
Maranatha, Lord. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. May that be our prayer tonight. Lord, we long, we long to see Jesus. Lord, may he be amongst us through his spirit. And may now, now may the, love, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now this Christmas time and forevermore. Amen.